welcome you back to the Lions 24-7 podcast. We hope you had a great Labor Day. We're coming to you a day uh, late, as we said we would last week. Um, I hope everyone enjoyed their three-day weekend. And uh, yeah, Tyler, I hope you enjoyed yours. It was definitely a little bit more nerve-wracking than we expected heading into the weekend. And this very easily could have turned into a much different conversation today, Sean. It was extremely down to the wire. But we thought, hey, if this is a game in the fourth quarter, good on Appalachian State. This nearly was an Appalachian State victory, very close, and we got a lot to talk about. Yeah, certainly. Uh, 45-38 overtime win for Penn State. Uh, 1-0 now in the season, 1-0 for the week, as they will say. Um, but yeah, that was uh, that was a close one. We'll start with game balls for the week. Uh, there's certainly plenty to talk about later in the show in terms of uh, some good, mostly bad. Uh, but yeah, game balls, we're going to start with offense. I'm going to go with Trace McSorley. I know there's a couple of guys that could step up. Miles Sanders in there, KJ Hamler. But I think uh, if you don't have McSorley, you don't have a win. And I think that's probably what... What, uh, what I would reflect on is as the outcome for this one. Yeah, absolutely. I'm with you. Uh, Trace McSorley, to me, the whole premise of me thinking this team was going to challenge for a Big Ten championship for the college football playoff uh, spot is Trace McSorley. The fact that he would be the difference maker in crucial moments when you need that drive. I was thinking more like on the road at Michigan, home against Wisconsin, but we got this, the preview right away of what he can do. Um, very reminiscent of Iowa. You need the drive. You know that if you falter at any time, if you turn the ball over, if you don't convert the fourth down, you're not getting the ball back and you're losing that game. So for him, especially that throw he made to K.J. Hamler, who we'll, we'll talk about at length here later on, but that throw he made to K.J. with, with, with major pressure in his face just shows you the incredible poise and confidence he's playing with. And telling you what, People should not take Trace McSorley for granted. I don't care who the starter is next year. You're not guaranteed to get a guy with those kind of clutch attributes. Yeah, that's experience coming through, no doubt about it. I mean, it's it's one of those things where – I mean, he threw that last – I mean, it looked like the the Juwan Johnson pass at Iowa last year. He had enough trust in himself, enough trust in Hamler, delivered it right where he needed to. Hamler made a great play, of course, as well. But uh, if you don't have Trace, you don't win that ball game. So he's he's our he's our game ball for the offense. Defense, uh, this one was a little bit harder to find. I mean, obviously 38 points in regulation against App State and all the credit in the world to App State. They were much better than, than we thought they would be. Uh, Zach Thomas, the quarterback, played a phenomenal game, put the ball exactly where he needed needed to multiple times and and really took control and they got some confidence and got rolling and Penn State's defense you know not really on point uh, they were okay in the first half and you know the, the big kick return certainly impacted momentum and, and things like that there uh 10 points uh but uh yeah in that second half that, that was really a letdown I mean they, they looked like they took the foot off the gas um I was searching around for somebody of course Amani Oriwari had the pick Jan Johnson I think led the team in tackles I, I'll go to Sharif Miller. I mean, I, I know the stat line doesn't really show it. I think Sharif was kind of all over the place, and and for what Penn State dealt with on the defensive line uh, over the weekend, not having Kevin Givens, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But uh, Sharif Miller was probably pretty much the closest thing you had to to a constant threat. App State was getting rid of the ball, um, no sacks for for Miller, but uh, I mean, I think he was disruptive. He was back in the back, and I think he set a lot of plays up, uh, especially a couple tackles for loss. Yeah, difficult to find bright spots on defense. Sean, they gave up three points defensively through the first three quarters. They gave up 28 in the fourth quarter. Um, and those three consecutive drives were just killer, you know, as App State rallied from 14 down to seven up. Um, it, it is tough to, to, to identify because some guys played well. I mean, 
Amani, to me, you know, that interception he made going up, seizing that moment, I think I got to give it to him because, you know, look, if, if, he had, if he had played that scared, there's an opportunity for App State to tie the game or maybe go for two and win the game on the road. So I think just because that was a walk-off interception in that moment, I got to give him MVP. But I think Jan Johnson, I think we got to give him credit. He, he was probably the more, most impressive linebacker and run support that I saw consistently throughout the day. Um, and it wasn't a great day across the board at linebacker, at defense, at, along the defense. But I'll go, I'll go with Imani. Um, but I, I think your your pick is is a good one as well, Sharif. The the box score does not reflect the impact that he was able to make. Yeah, I like Miller. I like uh, Etor Gross Matos, no doubt about it. Um, but it's they're going to have to do something. You know, it, it goes eleven deep on that defense in terms of guys that uh, that need to up their game between week one and week two. Um, so, you know, we'll see where they're at uh, this week traveling to Pitt. And, and special teams, we almost forgot about special teams. Um, and Penn State almost forgot about special teams this weekend. Obviously, some some issues up there. Um, the the kickoff return, I mean, you know, Raphael Check in his first game, had a few touchbacks, put that one to the goal line. You know, maybe not, maybe not the hang time you like, but it certainly wasn't a horrible kick. Um, so uh, special special teams all around I mean not a great debut for Phil Gaiano as a special teams coach um, did not really think that you know a, a turnover for when you lose Charles Huff to Mississippi State didn't think that would have the huge impact right away but it, it, it certainly did and of course the onside kick that, that that App State recovered I think a lot of people could see that as a possibility um, you know James Franklin even said they told them before you got to watch out for that but that didn't happen I don't think that there would be a special teams player the week until K.J. Hamler decided to take that ball out of the end zone, which I was about 15 yards from it when it happened and just kind of dumbfounded when he brought it out. And um, great block by Jonathan Thomas right in front of him. But, uh, I mean, that was uh, – wow, that that could have been Penn State's ball inside the 10. Instead, he took it out to the 50. The kid is special with the ball in his hands. We saw that on Saturday. I think we're going to continue to see that. So Hamler's my special teams player of the week. Yeah, if Hamler had gotten, you know, just crushed at the eight yard line or something, there's another major blemish on on the special team's performance against Appalachian State. But it, obviously, it turned into a 52 yard kick return, and uh, you know, I think it gives him a lot of confidence moving forward in that role. Uh, for me, on special teams, how about Jake Finnegar, man? We 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 thought it might take a few games to get him in a situation where there was going to be true pressure. Maybe you could manufacture some pressure in a couple of these games. Well, guess what? He had extra points where if he doesn't make them, this team loses. Uh, At the end of the fourth quarter, he drills the extra point. Uh, In overtime, makes the extra point. And I know people sometimes take that for granted. Tyler Davis did not miss an extra point during his three years as Penn State's field goal kicker. But let's face it, this was a situation where 105,000 people – teetering on the brink, Jake Pinnegar able to push this game forward and push this game forward, and I think that adds up for him. Didn't miss anything, made one field goal, made all his extra points, and as I said, some of those felt like a lot more than just extra points. Yeah, I think those true freshman kickers did exactly what uh, was expected of them. What what you know, we kind of what we were expecting from them based on what we'd heard from James Franklin. They seemed fairly confident in that, so it's, it's definitely a good sign moving forward. Uh, wrapping up the game, I, I, I really think just ha- not having Kevin Givens in there. We reported on Saturday morning that Givens would not be uh, a part of that due to a su- suspension for team rules. James Franklin reiterated that after the game. Did not say when he'd be back. I'm not sure if we're going to. Have clarity on that, uh, you know, before the Pittsburgh game. Given how he, he does his gamesmanship thing, um, but yeah, 
I mean, that the, his loss was certainly noticeable. Penn State uh, sort of gashed up front. Um, I'm not sure the stats completely say that, but if you look at the tackle play, Rob Windsor was was just okay. Fred Hansard, who started the game, looked in over his head. Uh, Ellison Jordan made some splash play. He was in the backfield a few times, made a couple plays, but the, the standard was certainly not up there. Antonio Shelton, P.J. Mustafer also got reps as well. So just shows a, a, a profound lack of experience without Kevin Givens in there. And if he's not in there next week, it's 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 going to be trouble. And throughout preseason camp, I think outside of Sharif Miller on that defensive line, the guy you heard most excitement about was Kevin Givens. And, and this was an opportunity uh, that obviously he didn't get to take on in this first game to show that he can be uh, a catalyst for the defensive line. Um, and you're right. It, it, I don't know if it was underwhelming, but it certainly didn't see any of these younger defensive linemen really step up and take on the moment and say, hey, I'm going to be a force to be reckoned with this year. Fred Hanser starting the game. Uh, didn't really see it out of him on a consistent basis. P.J. Mustafer, I think, you know, you saw some flashes there. I'm really curious to see as his role expands. I think there's an opportunity for him to carve out pretty important spot there but uh yeah if Givens isn't there for the Pittsburgh game they're in trouble and I think especially late Sean um Jalen Moore was carving them up you know to set up that late field goal opportunity uh on the final touchdown drive for App State really starting to find his groove they had a difficult time you know holding him down I think part of that was they just didn't have the defensive linemen filling those gaps making explosive plays and and that adds up and, and when you don't have a lot of confidence yet in your linebacker group to be play in, play out, taking care of business, that's a bad combination. Yeah, you mentioned confidence. I don't think Sean Spencer showed a a ton of confidence in his young defensive tackles, went to that wild package with four defensive ends. Uh, It got got some pressure at that point. They also had some some three-down sets where they went with Miller, Gross Matos, and uh, and, uh, Shaka Tony on the outside. They got some pressure there. So, um, okay, at defensive end, you'd like to have Shane Simmons back. He was in a boot on Saturday. We saw him on the sidelines. But, uh, yeah, the numbers uh, numbers not great not, and experience not great at defensive tackle and that's certainly something that needs to be locked up over the next couple of weeks uh linebacker you mentioned the lack of confidence there james franklin mentioned last week the starters in the second team would probably be playing similar amount of snaps uh not sure that we saw that on saturday a lot of that was the starters but the starters i thought generally ineffective i'm we heard so much about cam brown through camp um cam brown i think cost the team one or two times timeouts late in the game just because he wasn't sure where he was supposed to be lined up. Uh, that's certainly not a good sign, especially from a guy that's a junior. Cole Farmer had a couple of nice plays early, but uh, I think when you put Micah Parsons into the game, you saw a little bit more burst and and Micah a bit reckless, um, a bit uh, out of position at times, but just closes so much faster, makes uh, sort of pops a little bit more than Farmer. Jan Johnson, I thought was okay. As we said, he's going to be the whipping boy because he's the walk on in the middle, but he was as solid as any of those linebackers out there and and Ellis Brooks behind him I mean didn't really move the needle as well so uh, a lot to think about Uh, probably going to see a few more uh, two linebacker packages moving forward this week I think Pitt uh, maybe will open it up and and maybe throw the ball with Kenny Pickett a little bit more but uh, but yeah that front seven that's a problem because Pitt's going to run at him too and you know we got a chance to see Micah Parsons on his first series at linebacker and right away I think he made three tackles, pressured the quarterback. You're right, there was reckless moments. I think it was pretty much exactly what we anticipated from Micah. 
uh, some really special plays. Um, our Mark Mark Brennan on on lines two four seven has a really cool gallery up of you know capturing this great Micah Parsons play. And yes, he was reckless, and we anticipate that at times. That's but what he is. I think, yeah, I think ultimately though, you know, you're gonna people are gonna fall in love with this guy. I think the coaching staff has fallen in love with him, but it's a matter of making the right move at the right time and and when you're comfortable with it. And for me, you see him, you see Koa Farmer. The physical difference is in the athleticism is clearly different. Um, and and I, I'm with you on Cam Brown. I mean, he was a guy that we spoke with last week. He seemed very excited to prove a lot of people wrong about what they've got going on in the linebacker group. He, he really downplayed the Manny Bowen exit, saying that they, they have their stuff together. And I think this first test, um, you know, we came away with a lot more questions than answers. Yeah, absolutely. And back to Parsons for a second. Really didn't see him go after the quarterback, which is what we know that he can do well. Uh, is it a case, do you think, that maybe that, that they were sort of reining him in, trying to get his feet wet at the linebacker spot and, and not putting too much on him or saving anything for Pitt, which obviously, you know, you, you didn't want to do based on the outcome of, of week one. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think we do see more of Parsons moving forward. Forward. Like I said, Farmer uh, made a couple plays early, but uh, you know his. He, we know about his athleticism. We've seen the testing numbers. We've seen him do it. Just doesn't show up when he's playing out there. I think there's a lot of thinking going on at that second level of the defense, and that's certainly a problem. Uh, moving on to the third level of the defense, that's a spot we didn't think would be a problem considering the experience coming back there. Of course, Penn State lost a few starters from last year, but you still had Reed. You still had uh, Oriaware, Nick Scott, who I thought played a, a pretty decent game. I think everyone's going to turn to that that one sort of flag pattern uh, uh, that Nick Scott got beat on and certainly you know he should make that play but uh, I thought Nick Nick Scott played a solid game I mean it's just one of those things where you, you expected better from that back four and, and and certainly didn't get it John Reed looked rusty um, John uh, excuse me um, Tariq Castro Fields was probably your best corner on Saturday of course Amani got the pick on a fantastic play but he was trailing guys a lot of the game and I, I think he was out of position and just uh, there, there's so so many things to work on, and most of it comes on that defensive side of the ball. I have a lot of trouble really digesting what to think about with the defensive backfield because of the issues that were going on ahead of them. Um, you know, I look at the the box score: four, uh, five solo tackles for Nick Scott, six solo tackles for Garrett Taylor, seven solo tackles for Oroarie, and I. I First time saying the podcast. Give me, give me another one. Um, I just think ultimately you look at the, those stats. That shows there's a lot of pressure on these guys to clean up messes. Uh, and for them in the passing game, you know Zach Thomas after the game, the Appalachian State quarterback went out there and, and he said, uh, "We realized we could pass on these guys, so we kept passing on these guys, and they got shredded in, in the fourth quarter overall. Just felt like a lot of a lot of trailing on plays, playing catch up." Uh, not a lot of assertiveness. We saw it on the very final play in overtime, and it was huge. But we just didn't see that kind of assertiveness, which leads me to believe there may not have been the confidence in place to play that way. And uh, that was an issue. You're right. I mean, I just I just don't know what to make of it because I think there were a, a ton of problems af- ahead of them that led to some, you know, really challenging moments for the defensive backfield. Yeah, and I don't think the coverage was awful. I mean, Zach Thomas put that ball on the money several times, or there was a bunch of times when you just look down and say, hey, w- what else can you do? Um, you know, but, uh, I mean, you still have to make some sort of play on the ball, and I know everyone looks like uh, or everyone wants someone to turn around and, and find the ball and get the pick, but get those arms up, uh, slap at some hands, do something, and um, it just wasn't happening. Uh, credit to App State and the quarterbacks and receivers did a 
heck of a job. But uh, yeah, that can't happen this week once again. Um, I mean, it's uh, it, it's it's definitely a head scratcher because the talent's there. Um, we saw them try to do a lot of things, and and we'll get into uh, substitutions and rotations and all that kind of stuff in a minute. But uh, yeah, they, they, they just flat out have to be better. Safeties um, angles were different. You you saw a lot of hesitancy from guys like Lamont Wade and Garrett Taylor. Um, you saw a couple uh, blitzes from Garrett Taylor where just nothing there. I mean, he was probably another uh, six or seven yards from the quarterback by the time the quarterback threw the ball. And what's that get you? So um, some disappointment there. I think Brent Pry's got a lot to work on in terms of, of, of scheming. Don't think they put a ton on tape for Pitt this week. So that's that's one thing in terms of uh, schematically. But I mean, still, you, you have to make those plays when they're out there. And, and Penn State secondary certainly did not do that on Saturday. And I do wonder, you know, moving forward, um, how much of a shakeup we're going to see, um, you know, in some of these starting roles in terms of reps. Um, you know, I think a lot of this, like we talked about it before last week, a lot of those training camp competitions extended into week one. There's a game to evaluate. The coaching staff has done that. They've been in the film room. And I just wonder if we see some different looks, different sets against Pittsburgh in terms of personnel. Yeah, I mean, let's. Uh, I don't have it written down here, but if you want to revisit those position battles, I mean, uh, start at, I guess we'll start in the defensive backfield. I mean, the safety battle right there. I don't think that Lamont Wade did anything to to, to rip that away from Garrett Taylor. Thought Taylor was was okay. I don't think he popped or did anything uh, overly special. But uh, I mean, that that's still up in the air. Donovan Johnson won that fourth corner job. I think he certainly earned it, and he showed it on Saturday that he was aggressive. He was in there, and, and he was one of those guys in there in, in late in the fourth quarter and in overtime. He made a really nice play on uh, on App State's last drive. Uh, it was all over the receiver there, and I think it was a third down there. Um, so that was certainly a bright spot there. Going back to the offense, you saw a lot of Chaz Wright and Will Fries. Will Fries was the guy in at the end of the game. Chaz Wright obviously still struggle, struggles with that outside rush. App State knows that. Everybody on the schedule knows that. So do you see Will Fries more from here on out? I mean, given given what we saw on Saturday, I think that's certainly possible. Um, the tight ends, uh, you saw John Holland start. Danny Dalton played a good bit. No Nick Bowers on Saturday. Saw some Pat Fryermuth. Uh, he got in, I believe, in, in, in the overtime. They went some two tight end, and he was generally effective as a as a freshman tight end blocker so um but uh, those first two guys i don't think holland uh, though, though he had the big catch holland had uh, or excuse me dalton neither guy really differentiated differentiated himself from the other so that's still up in the air and uh yeah i mean just there's there's plenty of spots that are still certainly uh, uh worth taking but i'm not sure we saw any resolution on that in week one and and I, and I think you're you get on the head with uh, with Will Fries because we saw him the entire second half. This wasn't a rotational thing. This was them riding Will Fries at, at right tackle, and um, you know I, I think that you know wouldn't surprise at all to see him had this job. And there may very well be that designated or when we get the depth chart this week, we'll find out soon. Um, but it, it just seeing what we saw against App State and the way the offense performed in the second half when Will Fries was at right tackle, um, I just think you've got to find some consistency. These competitions can't go on for too long because we saw Micah Parsons out there for a series in the fourth quarter. The next series was Coe Farmer. Both of those series ends up with touchdowns for App State. I just think at some point you got to make sure guys can look around the field 
understand who's going to be next to him and have that accountability in place. It's only week one, but something you really got to get squared away heading into the Big Ten schedule, I think. Yeah, it feels like Penn State coached this game to play a lot of players, and they certainly did that, and they certainly got guys good snaps at good times, which is great, you know, but uh, at the end of the day, I mean, if you're if you're blowing the 14-point lead in the third quarter, if you're giving up 28 points in the fourth quarter, obviously that continuity was not there. So uh, I think one spot that uh, that I really looked at after the game was the, the running back rotation. I thought Miles Sanders looked pretty pretty darn good early you got away from him mark allen was not bad i'm not saying the other guys were uh you know a huge step down but i think miles sanders the more carries that he got the better he looked of course they rode him in the overtime and he was huge there um but uh mark allen ricky slade who had a really good run for a touchdown i mean you just you you get something different with sanders and i think we see a lot more of sanders this week uh, especially when with him him going home to pittsburgh um but yeah that was just a head scratcher and you had a few of those I mean you just had spots where you know linebackers were were out there and they were generally effective and then you went back to the other group and you you saw something different so I I, the the rotations to me said hey this game probably was was expected to not be as close and I'm sure Penn State's fans coaches anybody that was there expect didn't expect that I think 23 and a half 24 point favorites so you know that's probably to be expected for fans but I mean it's just uh it was one of those things where those rotations if you see that in the Big Ten you you know you're in trouble (laughs) yeah and beyond those home run hit moments that that Saquon Barkley delivered last year and all the fireworks the number one topic of conversation consistently was the loss of yardage on plays that were setting up, you know, second and longs, third and longs, um, 30 carries between those three running backs, Sean, only, uh, four yards of loss. Um, so, you know, I think that's, that's a, a good thing. I think that's a positive thing. Credit probably goes to the offensive line. They're going to play uh, larger, more athletic defensive fronts. That's for sure. But I thought that was what stood out to me about miles Sanders, especially early in the game. And then in the final drive of the game, uh, he was just charging forward. I mean, he found the hole. He hit it. There was no hesitancy. That's what you really want to see from a guy getting his first big opportunity. And I thought it was extremely telling in the way this coaching staff trusts Miles Sanders to give him the ball on all four plays during that overtime period because a fumble could immediately lose you that game if, if App State's get any points in the next session. So to trust him with the football in his hands, you know they're going to be going after the ball late in the game. Four carries, he reaches the end zone, they win. I thought that was a nice statement. But you mentioned Ricky Slade. Uh, We kind of anticipated he could be a guy that could pop one off. I don't think that will be his last 20-plus yard touchdown of September, quite honestly. No, that was that was something special. I mean, he's a guy that he broke through the line, and, and he had, I, I don't know if they were safeties or if they were corners, that had a decent angle on him. And instead of trying to, to go to the side and pick a side and go one-on-one, he went straight ahead, and he outran them. I mean, you saw that speed on that touchdown, and I thought the, you know that was certainly a good thing. Um, does, does he move in? Of course, Mark Allen had a couple of uh, pretty good catches, um, moved the chains a couple of times but uh does does Slade move in take a few more of those snaps take uh take some more of the uh the 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 reps you know James Franklin said after the after the game that it was series mostly series reps where you get three to one or two to one or something like that and I think maybe that rotation was a little heavier than it should have been early in the game um but uh yeah I think Slade certainly deserves it but I don't know how much you cut into Miles Sanders time by doing that um you know, just uh, looking around at some other spots, Juwan Johnson needs to be better. I mean, that's one of the first things I wrote uh, on Saturday after the game. He led Penn State in receiving, but 
six catches on 11 targets, two drops that I'm aware of. I mean, that drop in the first quarter, not saying that that changed the game or anything like that, but it really, you know, it was a deflating one because you all of a sudden get get the ball back when you're Appalachian State. You come down, I think, kick the field goal, go up 10-7. So that's certainly one that uh, sort of changed things for Penn State. And then, of course, you got to be that guy. I mean, you've got to go up and you got to get that ball on the last drive there um, on the Hamler touchdown drive, I believe, or the the, the drive before the Hamler touchdown drive. He did not go up and get that ball down the field. Um, You know, it's 6-4, obviously. We know he's an athletic freak. He's he's got to get those hands uh, together, man. He's got to he's got to really take that next step and be that number one. He looked like a solid supplemental guy on Saturday, but he's got to be the number one. And it became very clear, you know, the first drive of the second half, I believe it was. Jawan Johnson got three receptions. They wanted to feed him. They wanted to get him engaged. And for me, that was that was really it. It's almost like. He didn't buy in on what everyone else is buying in with Jawan Johnson. You know, go out there, be the go-go gadget, arms guy, six foot four, bully people. You don't see him really have that bully streak in him, at least right away here in 2018. And yeah, six catches for 67 yards. Um, it just tells you what he could put together. You know, if he has that complete kind of game, you're talking about a guy who could have 10 catches, 150 yards, touchdown or two. Um, so I think they're going. You know, this is going to be a moment where he said after the game it was a wake up call for the team. Part of me wonders if he's not saying it's a wake up call for him uh, because he does need to pick up a, a lot of the slack here with with Mike Asiki gone, Deshaun Hamilton gone. We've already talked about that. And your catalyst of this entire offense, uh, you know, was Saquon Barkley last year. Um, Jawan Johnson needs to be the weapon who can feast on opponents on the outside. Yeah, he cannot average 11 yards a catch. And it sounds okay. You move the sticks every time you catch the ball. That's fine. But, you know, he needs to be a guy that makes those downfield plays. Another guy that, that, that you know, we've seen make downfield plays in the past, DeAndre, DeAndre Tompkins did not even have a target. Um, he wasn't out there a good bit. Brandon Polk, of course, had the big fourth down catch, which was a, a, a great play by him um just uh trace put it a little bit high and threw it pretty hard and, and poke came down with the catch shows there's a bit of trust there but yeah Tompkins played a little bit in the overtime but yeah he was he was pretty much a non-factor after that punt return in the first quarter a guy who was a huge factor KJ Hamler I mean we talked about him before uh went down and made the big play out of the slot um to set up a touchdown of course had the kick return and then came back and, and had the touchdown at the end uh he's he's got something man I mean he's he certainly has that spark uh, uh, James Franklin said after the game they wanted him to you know maybe loosen up a little bit more and I think you saw that on the field as he, he kind of grew into the game on Saturday. Yeah, during uh, player intros before the game on the, on the big screen in the stadium, I think outside of James Franklin and, and Trace McSorley, it was either KJ Hamler or Miles Sanders for who got the, the you know the best reaction. And this kid hasn't even played in the game for Penn State at that point. I think a lot of people are in love with his enthusiasm and. That's the way he plays. I mean, you talk about you know guys who are maybe playing out there a little bit scared or afraid to make a mistake. KJ Hamler at some point that flip switch. Maybe it was that moment uh, on the kickoff return or, or the deep ball that he got from Trace McSorley to set up Sanders touchdown early in the fourth. But on that final drive to see him go full extension, grab that ball. Trace McSorley put it on the money. He was not going to let that one slip past his grasp. And I think for my, for um, I'm sorry, KJ Hamler. Just I think he's fueled on that emotion. And Franklin talked about it. McSorley talked about it. Trying to just get him to be the guy he is in the practice field in the game. Uh, and for him, the long road back from a torn ACL. It was more than two years until he was on the football field in game action. 
position again. So he made the most of that. And something just tells me the ball's rolling for him now. Now that he's put it on the field in Beaver Stadium against an opponent, I just see momentum going in the right direction and, and a huge season ahead of KJ. Yeah, and you mentioned that personality. Um, Marcus Allen was the guy that everyone turned to you know, last year as, as sort of that locker room uh, post-game dance and all that kind of stuff. KJ Hamler, I think, has assumed that role and will have it for the next couple of years. It's a kid where if you're at Lift for Life or you're out uh, you know, at a, at a team event or something, this is a kid you want to, you want to engage with. Um, he's really, really just a kind of a, a special personality, and it's good to see um, because because you know, looking across the looking across the roster, you you need a couple of those guys. So um, certainly, KJ Hamler in the mix, player of the game. Thought he was really really good, and and they're going to continue to lean on him. And I'm I'm excited to see what he can do on in the shorter passing game in the slot. And Sean, if I can note, it almost feels in a weird way, even though he just played his first college game. KJ Hamler almost feels like he has that veteran presence among the receivers already. I know it's weird. He's played one game. He's caught four passes in college. But you got Jawan Johnson, who has obviously accomplished some things. DeAndre Tompkins. But Brandon Polk, you know, his track record on the field isn't very deep. He's never had a moment like this, obviously, that KJ had. And then we didn't see Jahan Johnson. Justin Shorter, we don't know his status at the moment. Um, you know, and Matt Kippenhammer still working his way. He didn't make an impact really in this game. So all of a sudden it feels like KJ Hamler is like a linchpin guy for this receiver group. Yeah, it's kind of funny to say as a redshirt freshman, but you've seen the videos, you know, the Penn State puts out how much focus and emphasis has been on KJ Hamler this uh, this off season. He's got he's got swagger, he's got personality. I mean, not saying that you know Juwan Johnson and DeAndre Tompkins don't have that confidence, but they don't have that outward personality, and I think that shows. I mean, KJ carries himself like a shutdown corner. I mean, he's he's out there, he's jawing, he's he's having fun doing some things, and and you sort of need that, uh, especially when some of your other guys are. Just kind of lead by example, guys. Um, you mentioned a couple throws by Trace McSorley. We mentioned it earlier. Where's Penn State without Trace? Um, they're, they're probably zero and one. I think they're definitely zero and one. Um, yeah, I mean he's he was our player of the game for the re, for a reason. I uh, had a couple errant throws early. Looked a little juiced up at times. Overthrew Juwan Johnson a couple times. Overthrew Brandon Polk down the sideline. But you know this is uh, this is what we've come to expect from Trace McSorley, and he's a pretty darn good football player. He's just so calm. I think when he stepped into that media room after the game, all of us reporters are our heads are spinning. We're trying to figure out how to dissect this thing, and he's and even the players come in, they're buzzing. He comes in, he relaxed, uh, and that's apparently exactly the demeanor he carries into the huddle. You know, speaking with KJ Hamler, Miles Sanders after the game, they said it, it's a it's a quiet, confident leadership. He's done this before. The Iowa game last year is a primary example led the team back against Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship game during his first year as a starter. And this is another, you know, part of that legacy that he's establishing. You know, for me, I just wonder how many times, you know, he bailed them out, I think, late in this game. I think, again, without him, you're sinking, you're going to be 0-1. I just wonder, will he be able to bail them out against an opponent that's going to be a top 25 team in Ohio State? I just don't think you can – Trust that Trace McSorley is always going to be there this season to deliver magic at the end of these games or throughout the game. Uh, I think you really got to compliment him with that defense because unless that happens, this quite frankly, they're just not going to be able to compete for a Big Ten championship if it's only the Trace McSorley show. He's got to be able to lean on the other side of that football and know the defense is going to come with stops. And through game one, that's exactly what they didn't do in the fourth quarter. Yeah, you can lean on Trace, no doubt about it, but you can't just keep going back to him and say, hey, save our ass again. I mean, this is this is not a situation where you want to see that uh, that – 
Elway-like drive every week, and I think it'll do a lot better for people's blood pressure if that doesn't happen. Uh, eight true freshmen played in the game on Saturday. We've, we've covered a lot of them. Micah Parsons, Ricky Slade, Jesse Lucetta played on special teams, Jake Pinnegar, Raf Cheka, P.J. Mustafer, Pat Fryermuth, and, and Nick Tarburton got some run at defensive end with the with the injuries there. So um, if you're tracking at home, that four, uh, excuse me, that four – uh, red shirt, the new red shirt rule that says you can play in four games and keep your red shirt. Well, I mean, we didn't see Jahan Dotson. We didn't see some of those other guys that we thought might be on the bubble. Of course, we thought that, you know, if, if Penn State was up big, you'd, you'd see maybe Jason Awe, uh, maybe one of those other defensive tackles, a Judge Culpepper or something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's pretty much your core. And, and whether or not Tar Burton's a guy that they lean on throughout the season I think at least seven of those eight guys you're going to see all, all year long I was surprised to see Tarburton out there I think it was you know second quarter I think they might have been down 10-7 at the time um, to see him out there you know I, I, he's somebody I thought maybe would be stashed uh, for if the game got a little out of hand but apparently they felt the need to, to, to put him out there that they felt that confidence and they wanted to see what he could give them and I guess that's a good early indication of his transition from linebacker where he was really, really impressive and productive in high school and moved over to defensive end in the spring. And here he is, first game of his college year, uh, in the mix in the first half for Penn State. So I thought that was pretty telling. Yeah, and we've been talking about Tarburton as a defensive lineman pretty much since he committed. I mean, this is a big freaking kid, man. I mean, he's 6'4", he's in his 250s, maybe up to 260 now, and he's going to be that guy that sets the edge. I don't think he's going to be a, a pass rusher that pops or anything like that. But you need somebody to set that edge. So um, Tar Burton was out there, and obviously his his floor is a lot li- a lot higher than Jason always, and and that's exactly I think what you need right now. You need bodies out there that can help stop the run, and he's going to be that guy. You know, I've I've been talking about him as a defensive lineman. I wouldn't be shocked if he was a defensive tackle two years from now. So um, it's one of those things where he's a just a good football player. You throw him out there, and it was it was good to see him back out there and and, and doing what he does. Um, I think he outgrew linebacker pretty quick but they certainly have that need at defensive end and 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 they're not moving Michael Parsons there so um plenty of concerns heading into to to week two of course Penn State going to Pitt um it was it was interesting reading our message boards at Lions 24-7 how much concern seemed to be on with Ricky Ronnie in the offense I think you know if if you're breaking this down I think it's it's a defensive thing for the most part yes the offense has things to work on too no doubt about it but I have more concerns with the with the defense and I think I mean that's that's got to be the way to look at this, right? I, I'm with. I mean, I think some of the things with the receiving core and, and Trace McSorley not being on the same page with them early, I think those will work themselves out. You have enough established guys in that group. You have Trace McSorley as a main cog in that system. For me, though, I really do look at the defense, and it's especially the front seven. I mean, will Givens be available? We don't know. Is Shane Simmons going to be able to play in September? We don't know. Um, you know, I think there's just a lot of concerns about who's going to get better um, and who is going to essentially be very reminiscent of who they were this past Saturday for the remainder of the season. I think the one guy that stands out to me who can maybe make or break the situation is Cam Brown. You talked about it. Certainly seemed like everything around him was moving a little too fast. And he's a guy 
himself, who we've you know talked about how quick he is and how athletic he is, and he could be all over the place, but still found himself out of position way too often. And I think you can't have that because that's the guy that James Franklin pointed to last week as the one linebacker who had gained some separation atop the depth chart. Yeah, and if he's the guy that's gained some separation, that's that's troubling because he he looked lost at times, of standing on the field in the fourth quarter, and and Garrett Taylor is yelling his head off at uh, at Cam Brown to to go with a slot or excuse me a, a running back that came out into the slot and Brown's just looking around like oh wondering what to do waiting for somebody to put him in position and you know maybe they do that for for him in practice and maybe they put him in the right spot but that's troubling man I mean that's that's certainly not what you're looking for from you know what James Franklin sort of said was their best linebacker last week so um, big question mark at linebacker of course we talked about Farson, uh, excuse me Parsons and Farmer um, Jan Johnson I think is is certainly the guy in the middle and you'll you, we'll see what they get from Pitt this week in terms of looks whether you're going to go back into that star package and and move John Reed or Donovan Johnson inside and, and play with five DBs which is probably the way to go given where Penn State is at uh, at linebacker right now but uh, yeah just so many questions and you know Ronnie called far from a perfect game but 38 points in your in your debut it's certainly okay if you're going to be a Big Ten champion, a team in the mix to make the college football playoff, 38 points needs to be enough to get you a win. Uh, it was not against Appalachian State. It was not last year against Ohio State. So I think uh, you know that's a little concerning. Again, back to the defense. But yeah, I think the offense, especially in the second half, look, they brought the uh, Trace McSorley brought this team back late. I think we haven't really made much reference to the offensive line coming out of game one. That's a good thing. We're not talking about Trace McSorley getting battered around. Um, so yeah, ultimately, I think there's a lot of building blocks off this, and they're going to get to, I think, incorporate some of these other players who are still unproven, uh, whether it's Holland or Dalton or Fryermuth. We'll see what they have in Jahan Dotson, Justin Shorter maybe down the road. Um, so I think ultimately, you know, the offense has a lot more foundation to build off of after week one than the defense does. Yeah, I think so. And if you look at the tight ends, it was obviously a position of concern coming into the season. Um, didn't really notice them one way or the other, which I think is fine. I mean, you know, where you were at, you'd you'd rather not notice them and, and then sacrifice the big play or whatever. John Holland, as we mentioned, had that, uh, that pretty good catch, um, you know, early in the game but yeah I think uh, there's plenty to work with that offense uh, you'd like to see more targets for DeAndre Tompkins you, you of course like to see KJ Hamler continue to step up and you need to see Juwan Johnson be that number one all fixable things on that side uh, defensively um, I'm curious about the linebacker rotation like I said I think Penn State played too many guys um, to uh, in different spots um, but it's it's got to be a situation where that defensive line starts and it's going to flow back from there so plenty to work on on both sides of the ball but I think you look at defense and special teams are the two that you come away with thinking man this is this is where they got to tighten it up I think also one thing we have in reference is Tommy Stevens was not on the field in any capacity, whether the Lion or as a backup quarterback. Um, so that's also a dynamic of the offense, whereas I'm, as far as we know, there's no number two Lion. And we, we're not really sure what the Lion does, but I do know that Tommy Stevens makes plays and can be a difference maker. And he's 
a guy who has played in key situations against quality opponents. So um, to not have him on the field in any capacity, I think that's also worth noting offensively. Yeah, and and given where Tommy's been the last couple of weeks, I don't think we expect to see him anytime soon, um, meaning the next week or two. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where he, he brings some sort of threat from a different position. And, you know, maybe you get a little bit more out of, uh, of your tight end production. If you have Stevens on instead of a tight end, we saw Penn state work some four receiver sets with a, with a tight end, with an empty backfield. Of course they went to the QB draw a few times. It was fairly predictable in that, in that instance. But, uh, yeah, I think just a couple of different looks. They're not married to that 11 personnel with the one running back, the one tight end and the three receivers. So Ronnie was looking to, or Ronnie was willing to, to, spice it up a little bit so i think we see more of that more moving forward looking forward we're just going to talk pit briefly um we'll have another podcast later in the week where we talk a little bit more in depth uh you wrote about pit but first thing i wrote about pit uh, that parking situation man uh, if you're going to the game on saturday it is absolutely brutal especially if you're a penn state fan that's waiting at the gate at seven or eight o'clock waiting for those guys uh, those parking lots to open they're, they're saying don't get there until five don't tell gate if you're going to the if you have a pirates game pass there's a pirates game in the afternoon and that's uh that's caused another cluster and 130 to 5 is a no tailgate zone what are we doing here man i mean it's just it it, it, and i'm not going to spend too much time on this but that you're just sucking the essence right out of college football just right before our eyes I'll tell you what, Sean, I've heard so many complimentary things about Pitt coming from Penn State fans the last couple of years. Uh, this is really going to ruin that relationship. Now, <laughs> this, obviously, this, this is, is what does it, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, this is a Saturday in September. You're promoting yourself at Pitt with a, with a game under the lights. You know, you're trying to show that you're back on that college football radar, and, and by beating Penn State, Pitt could do that. But for them to not really showcase the full college football experience, and they're not going to have that because of the no tailgate zones and all that, um, I guess maybe folks can go to a Pirates game and drive and have an adult beverage in the outfield and then mosey on over to the stadium. Uh, it's definitely a bummer to hear, and I know there's a lot of fans who, uh, judging by our message boards and, and on our social media pages, none too pleased with the uh, with the news. Yeah, I'm curious what, what Steeler fans would say if they if you wouldn't be allowed into the lots at 5 o'clock on a Monday night football game. Um, but, uh, man, that's uh, that's crazy. But looking at Pitt, they're going to run they're gonna run right at Penn State. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, had some success against Albany in week one. Um, a lot of guys touched the ball. Of course, Pitt uh, a little bit liberal with their substitutions as well, but had a reason to do since they won by 34, I think it was. Um, but Quadre Olison's going to run right at Penn State. He's a big back and a little bit different than what we saw on, on the strategy from App State last week. But yeah, I mean, you got to be you got to be on your guard if you're Penn State in the front four this week once again. Yeah, split the past couple matchups. Obviously, Penn State fans don't need a reminder of what happened last trip to Pitt. I think ultimately in this game, for me, there may be an upgrade at quarterback. I, I know Kenny Pickett's still quite unproven. I think he's thrown about 88, 90 passes at the college level. Uh, he did you know, play a huge role in, in beating Miami. I think last year um, against Pitt, Penn State really took advantage of, of a quarterback who was out of his element, Max Brown. He was a former five-star recruit, but he did not look comfortable the entire game. But ultimately, Pitt had 30 more yards than Penn State last year. They dominated time of possession, 38 minutes uh, versus Penn State. And, and I think that's a game that the score was 33-14, to 14, but on the field it felt a lot closer. And I wonder if you can have even just a game manager in Pickett, whereas Brown, again, looked like he was lost out there. He was getting banged up. They replaced him. 
I think if Kenny Pickett can be the game manager and not make mistakes, he's only thrown two interceptions on those 90 attempts, then that could really put Pitt in a better situation than they were last year. Um, right off the bat, you know, throwing the fact that they're on home turf and, you know, this starts to shape up as a more dangerous game than we may have thought, especially from our first glimpses at this Penn State 2018 version. Tyler, where, where's Kenny Pickett from? Jersey. Yeah, that's that's why. I see. I, I felt different last year. I think Penn or excuse me, Pitt uh, ran the ball a lot, played not to get blown out. I think there was obviously a talent deficiency there last year. I think Penn State's the more talented team again this year. So, uh, thirty-three to fourteen felt uh, did did not feel as close as it was. I thought. Um, so if you if you look at it from that situation, you go back to twenty sixteen. Pitt had a very good game manager in, in Nathan Peterman. If Pickett can be that guy. It's it's like we talked about with App State last week. If you can keep it close for three quarters, of course, you know this is the home team now. You certainly got an opportunity to do so. And if you wear down Penn State's uh, defensive line or for front seven, uh, that certainly puts them in a good spot. I, I still think Penn State, uh, you know, has a lot of advantage, and I think they're going to get a lot out of that App State tape. And I think they're going to get a lot about having sort of having their bell rung in week one uh, as a, as a big learning experience. So I think they're okay there. You just need to see a lot of progression in a lot of spots. Pitt uh, not really tested against Albany. Albany, not uh, not a very good uh, team to begin with. Um, they've lost some guys as well. Um, but uh, it, it's it's going to be an interesting one. I, I talked to all summer long that this game was going to be closer than people wanted to hear that it was going to be, and I certainly think it has the potential to be a close game. This was the game that I had kind of circled on the schedule as the early adversity. I, I just had a feeling that something was going to happen and this game was going to be in the balance in the fourth quarter. And it was kind of going to rock back and forth. Um, we already saw a major dose of that. Yeah, adversity. you already got that, so you don't need it next week. <laughs> so that, that, yeah, that check is cashed. Uh, next, this upcoming weekend, though, I think um, you know you do look at the, you know what can Pitt accomplish um, in the air because I think last week we saw three quarters. Zach Thomas being that game manager, the guy who didn't make mistakes. We said that if that was the case, App State would be a chance to hang around. Well, they were down 24 to 10. And then all of a sudden, he let it fly. I don't know if he's the next great small school quarterback or if Zach Thomas just had himself a heck of a Saturday. But it didn't make Penn State's defense look good. And like you said, there's a lot of tape on what you may be able to exploit. And I think uh, with Pickett, with this Pitt team, uh, they're not going to have any trouble being motivated against Penn State, whether they want to admit it or not. Uh, I think there's a lot of animosity involved here um, on your home turf under the lights, knowing that there's a chance to make a statement. But at the same time, I think if Penn State can go in there, start the game strong, look a lot more well buttoned up on defense and on offense, and get off to a good start, the self-doubt could creep in pretty fast for Pitt and for Pitt fans. Um, but you know, we'll see. Based on what we saw, this one's not necessarily going to be um, you know, worked out anytime early in the game. Yeah, and, and Pat Narduzzi, and we're recording this on Monday afternoon, Pat Narduzzi had his Monday press conference earlier today, closed it by saying, you know, this is not like any other week. And and, and certainly everyone on that side is, is certainly admitting that Pitt, Penn State Pitt is different. Of course, James Franklin, he's going to go out there Tuesday afternoon. He's going to talk about Pitt being no 
different from Appalachian State um, and, and sort of that thing. So this is, I guess, the third straight year we're going to run this this freaking storyline into the ground where it's different for one. And it's no different from the other. And in the end, it doesn't really matter. Um, but no, it's, uh, it's it's one of those things where, I mean, this is an, an opportunity for Penn State to correct some mistakes, face some adversity on the road and, and, and see what they've got. Because, you know, certainly they've got a lot of raw talent. They've got a lot of things to work with. But if it does not come together, and especially with Ohio State looming at the end of September, if it does not come together, you know, this is a team that, that was expecting double digit wins. And, you know, is this a team that can get there? So you, you looked at the fourth quarter against Appalachian State and you wonder if this was a, you know, they, did they even look like an eight, a seven or eight win team? So ton of question marks there. We will talk more about Pitt later this weekend. We're going to talk recruiting very quickly. Um, last week we had uh, you know a visitor list on the site. Not very many uh, impressive names on there. Dante Thornton, of course, uh, 2021 wide receiver from Maryland. Keaton Ellis, the Penn State commit. They were the headliners. Earlier in the week we ran a VIP story on Julian Fleming where he talked about his, his next couple of visits. He's got a couple to Penn State and he told us uh, that he might be there on Saturday. And, uh, and lo and behold, he showed up at Beaver Stadium on Saturday. I think that's huge to keep getting him back. Just, you know, make him familiar with the situation. Just keep getting him on campus over and over and over again. Had some positive things to say to Steve Wiltfong afterward. And, you know, for your top target in 2020, anytime you can get him on campus, certainly a plus. Yeah, a nice surprise there for Penn State. Uh, and, and Julian Fleming looks the part. I mean, that's my first time seeing him in person, even just since April. And he just continues to look like that number one receiver. You could probably go to describe him as lanky, maybe. This time last year, nothing lanky about this kid anymore. He's well put together. And, and by the way, his 13th 100-yard receiving game on Friday night, Sean, uh, another blowout victory for his Southern Columbia team. Uh, but he's making it look easy out there on the football field. Three touchdown receptions, had a punt return uh, called back. But three touchdowns, another 100-yard game. Which has become pretty much anticipated for Fleming at this point in his career. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you mentioned his size, six two. Uh, he's getting up to around two oh five, and uh, playing at uh, I believe Southern Columbia's two A now. When you're playing at that level, where he does, he's certainly going to stand out. Uh, a bunch of other guys stood out this week. Uh, you know, we highlighted on the site yesterday. Penn State commits, uh, Penn State targets had had some big weeks. I think John Dunmore led the way. Uh, Taquan Roberson had a big week as well, and that, and that's right up your alley. Yeah, Dunmore, 177 yards and two touchdowns on eight catches. Uh, this is one of those interstate matchups. We've seen them all over this past weekend. Uh, his team from South Florida played a school out of Alabama, you know, went out there, had a monster game, both of his touchdowns in the final two minutes of, this, of the first half. Uh, watch some highlights there, and we'll have them up on the site here momentarily. One, he broke a tackle, went down the sideline for a touchdown. The other, he just flat-out beat his man with speed got to the end zone. I think he's a pretty dynamic receiver. He can do a few different things. And then with Taquan Roberson, this is the guy who's starting out. He has repeat ambitions for DePaul Catholic High School in New Jersey. Uh, First game, good start. 66% completion percentage, 275 touchdowns, four touchdowns through the air. I said 275 touchdowns. That's a lot. Yards. Uh, He threw four touchdowns. Uh, But Roberson, great start. Worth noting, Michael Johnson Jr., the other commit in this Penn State class, Sean, as we learned late last week, not participating in his team's television uh, television debut. They were on ESPNU um, out of Eugene, Oregon with Sheldon High School. Uh, Michael Johnson had a shoulder issue, so he could not participate. But Roberson, the other QB, certainly flashed 
what he's capable of in, in week one. Yeah, and Devin Ford, another big week, which has become routine for him. Uh, they actually started their game on Friday night, had to call it, I think, in the second quarter due to lightning and finished it on Saturday morning, which I can't imagine had to be great for those linemen playing in the game. But Ford had a big game. His coach was hitting me up during Ricky Slade's first game, and they're all excited, and Ford's excited to follow that. So that's certainly good to see. Um, we will be following Penn State all week and following Penn State recruiting all week on Lions 24-7, so uh, join us if you can. We're going to wrap up this episode right about the 50-minute mark. Um, we, of course, listen to us on iTunes. We are now on Spotify, as we said last week. We'll be back later this week. James Franklin has a press conference Tuesday. There's an open practice Wednesday. There's a couple of things going on Thursday, um, but we will be back later this week, and, and we thank you for joining us uh, after, obviously, what was a, a, a testing weekend for, for Penn State. Once again, thank you for joining us on the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Sean Fitz. That was Tyler Donahue, and we will see you guys later this week. 